Well, good morning, y'all. Merry Christmas. It's snowing. When I got here at like 7.30, it was not snowing, and you brought it with you. I blame you. Uh, my name is Jamie. I'm on staff here at Sea Road. Uh, if I, we haven't met before, hello. I'm the executive pastor here and excited that you've decided to spend your Sunday morning with us. Um, before I start, this is not written down for me to preach, but and I, I hate to over-spiritualize things sometimes. Like even, even as a pastor, I hate to over-spiritualize. And I even hate to give uh, the devil credit sometimes uh, because it's not really our job. Uh, we have experienced more technical difficulties uh, this morning than uh, I would care to have in a year. And uh, as we were trying to sift through those, you don't, sometimes you don't think about anything else. And then as we were praying as a group, there's about a dozen or 15 of us in that little room in there praying for you before service. Um, Hanny said like, Lord, keep us from distractions. And we've experienced more distractions and I've gotten more gray hairs this morning than I care to have, and that's why I have blonde hair, and I keep my hair so short so you can't see all those gray hairs. Um, but here's what I'm thinking. Here's what Holy Spirit was teaching me as, as we were praying, is that I'm going to guess that those things are happening because God has something for us this morning. And I know, like, you can be like, oh, yeah, I guess, maybe. Um, and that could be the case. Uh, I think it's the case, and it's not because I have anything important or, or funny or good to say, but it's because God is moving and working, and I, I hope that we can be in tune to that. Uh, and so I just want to pray for us. I know we just did, and it's like, oh, the guy's praying again. Is that all they do here? Um, maybe. But let me pray for us. Jesus, open our ears and our heads and our hearts to receive whatever it is you have for us this morning. And even as I wrestled with these verses in this message today, God, I believe it's because you want to change us and challenge us and transform us because of it. God, may we never take your word for granted. God, keep distractions aside as we focus on you in these next few moments. And all of God's people agreed and said, amen. That sounded like most of you, so I am pleased uh, so we're in week three of our Christmas series called The Land of Misfit Toys. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Ranger, uh, Ranger, Reindeer, uh, he could have been a ranger. Uh, if you're familiar with that story at all, it was like the freakishly weird like claymation story. And uh, Rudolph ends up finding himself in a place called the Island of Misfit Toys, a bunch of these toys that were oddly put together that no kids wanted. And uh, essentially, we drew some uh, conclusions and some comparisons to the Christmas story from that 1960s claymation movie. Because the Christmas story is, is all about God using these misfits, these like outcasts, these ordinary people that nobody knew, and he used these people to tell his story. And today will be no different as we talk about the shepherds. Now, I was up here like a month ago, and I talked about shepherds and dumb sheep and all that kind of stuff. We're going to continue to talk about that today. And even here in our little toy store, our little toy maker's den over here, we've got some shepherds and some stupid sheep. They're not, they look fine. I'm just, they're dumb sheep. Anyway, you had to be here like a month ago. It's okay if you weren't. We'll see you next week. 
So let's talk about the shepherds again. Um, there is a very interesting English idiom that we often use. We probably all have all used it at least once is, I'll believe it when I see it. Have you ever said that to anybody? Someone might say something and you're like, I don't know about that. It's usually like thick with sarcasm or it's usually said in jest. Someone says like, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. It's like, like someone who says they have a stupid human trick, right? Like I can, whatever, tie my tongue in a knot or lick my elbow. It's like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. And then you typically want to see that thing. Or it's like, when is that guy ever going to propose to that girl? Pfft, I'll believe it when I see it. Or when am I going to receive an apology from that person? I'll believe it when I see it. When is my sports team going to win the championship? Never. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, I went to Cambodia a number of years ago and got to see one of the seven wonders of the world. is a place called Angkor Wat. And it's these acres upon acres of these hidden stone temples. And you Google it and it's like, that's cool. And then you get there and you step inside and you go, wow. Like, I'll believe it when I see it, that it's that amazing. Or if someone, like if you are having your first child someday and someone will ask the father, hey, are you going to go watch? Right? Are you going to be in the room? Are you going to look? And, you're, and he's like, I, I don't know. And they're like, no, really, it's the most amazing experience. And you're like, I'll believe it when I see it. And then you're in the delivery room for your first child and you like you watch or whatever and you're like, this really is the most incredible thing ever. You see it and you believe it. And then you have your second child and they're like, do you want to watch? And you're like, I saw it the first time. I think I'm good. <laughs> like one was enough. That's, that's enough. I'm good. I'll believe it when I see it. See, it's this thing that we say when something seems hard to believe. And we need the proof. And that is the case for the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. That's where I'll get you to turn this morning if you've got your Bible. Luke chapter 2. At first, I'm going to read the same verses that Pastor Jason read for us last week. Because today we're going to focus on the messengers. But it's really difficult to talk about the messengers if you don't know the message. And so, this is Luke 2, starting at verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. This is the message, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the people, the, 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 the thing that the Jewish people have been waiting generations upon generations for. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And again, we get this word, suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So this is interesting. Let's put ourselves at the feet of the shepherds here for a moment. So it's nighttime. The day is done for them. The sheep are all in their pen. Uh, these guys are most likely laying across the door so the sheep don't get out or something else doesn't get in. They're minding their own bee. They're just having a break from the long day, probably asleep. 
And then we get this first suddenly. It says, an angel appeared and they were terrified. Now, there are different kinds of angels. There's like Hebrews 13 angels where it says that they come in like in human form. And then there's Isaiah 6 angels where they're like semi-human but still kind of scary. And then there's Ezekiel 1 kinds of angels which look like villains from a D&D campaign. Like something straight out of Stranger Things. These things are terrifying. They're like monsters. Yet they're still angels of God. And that's what I choose to believe is happening here in this story. Maybe, maybe not. But they wake up and they see this. They're, they're terrified because there's this, not only is there this thing in front of them, but there's like a light surround. It's the middle of the night. These guys are probably sleeping. This being shows up and there's this huge light surrounding him and they're absolutely terrified. And it's like, it's fine. I'm not going to hurt you. I come in peace. And then, not only that, but he, he gives the message, and then there's the second suddenly. So all of a sudden, the skies open up, and there's more of these things. And not just like a dozen or a few dozen. It says, the armies of heaven, which means there's like thousands and thousands of these beings, and they're probably all armed and then all of a sudden, it says they're, they're worshiping, they're glorifying God, and they're singing. And it's not like they're all singing the same tune. They're in, individually, they're praising and glorifying God, which would have sounded like crazy, probably. Like if we were all singing a different song while the band was playing, that's kind of maybe what this would sound like. And they're even more frightened, and so they see this incredible thing but most importantly, they hear this incredible message. And the reaction is, I'll believe it when I see it. And so this is what happens. They get this message, good news, great joy, all people, the Messiah has been born. And so here's the thing before we read our actual text from starting at Luke 2.15 today, is that belief ignites enthusiasm. Belief in something ignites enthusiasm. If you believe something, it should probably spark an enthusiasm in you. Or even if someone tells you something and you're curious about it or you want to know more about it, so oftentimes it'll spark an enthusiasm in you, a passion, a zeal. You want to know more. Belief ignites enthusiasm. And I assume that we would all be a little enthusiastic about this thing that the shepherds saw. Because it's this extravagant, kind of extraordinary, dare I see, even like, extraterrestrial thing that happens in front of them. And they're like, I want to know more. Belief ignites enthusiasm. So let's go to our text today. Luke 2, starting at verse 15. This is what it says. When the angels had returned to heaven, right, so they shut everything down, like the skies, whatever it was, closed up. These beings are gone. They're left in complete darkness again. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's, let's go to Bethlehem 
Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about, right? Belief ignites enthusiasm. And so these guys are enthusiastic about this message that they want to go see it. They want the proof. They want to be able to believe it. So a few things here. First, they did something that shepherds should never do. They left their flock. It's like you have one job. And then they just, they just leave the dumb sheep there to fend for themselves. And so they get up and they leave. Second thing is this, boundaries. This poor girl just had a baby. And they're like, let's go see. Now, I've been in the delivery room twice. And I'm not sure that my wife had like, had like a guest list of people she wanted to come and see. But I'm going to guess that the local garbage men were not on that list. And that's kind of what's happening here, right? Like, I've seen pastors Daniel and Anna's list, okay? I know that the shepherds aren't on it. They're like a few weeks away from baby time, and most of us aren't on it, let's be, let's be honest. But I'm, I'm saying that in jest, but we got to think, like, that's a private moment, and these guys are like, cool, let's go see this young girl that just had a baby in, like, a stall, So they don't have a whole lot of boundaries. Verse 16, it says, They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was a baby lying in a manger. So it says that they found Mary and Joseph, which means that they had to look. And like when you're looking for something, you don't just have a really good idea. You typically have to ask around. Men, it's okay to ask for directions if you don't know where you're going. So these guys were making their way through Bethlehem. And saying, have you seen, do you know where these people are? Because we saw this great, incredible, crazy thing. And they told us to come here and we're looking for them. And so as they are trying to find the situation, as they're trying to find this makeshift delivery room, they're having conversations and they're telling people about what they've seen. Because belief ignites enthusiasm. And so once found, of course, they see the thing that was told them, right? It's too good to be a coincidence. The message that the angel gave these shepherds is confirmed. They see the baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying in this manger. And they're like, yep, this is the one. This is Christ, the Messiah. Verse 17. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. So this is, a, this is a really significant verse in this story. It's, it's one of those ones that's kind of easy to read over without seeing the depth of what's happening contextually. Because shepherds, shepherds were not the most liked people in the first century. Their vocation was lowly and humble. They were often not allowed in the cities because they smelled They often weren't allowed in the cities because they couldn't be trusted. A lot of shepherds were thieves. And so not only are these shepherds not usually allowed to be in the cities, but they're not wanted either. And so they're like lower class citizens. Yet these men become the first messengers of the gospel message. Think about, in this situation, who God has used to be the first evangelists. A bunch of people that no one trusted, that no one liked, 
some people that were outcasts and misfits. And yet God chooses to use them as these messengers. This is an incredible thing that has happened. Verse 18, this is really interesting. It's kind of like a little subplot here on the side. Oh, sorry, not yet. Uh, verse 18, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. In other words, they were enthusiastic. They were interested, right? Oh, I'll believe it when I see it. That was the reaction that these people had. They, they tell them the story about the visitation from the angels and the armies of, 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 of angels when the heavens opened up. They tell the people what happened and then they go and they see and they, on their way back, they begin to tell everybody this story. And it says the people were astonished. Belief ignites enthusiasm. And so they begin to drum up this passion, this, this, all this information. They're trying to get all the stories and the rumor mill goes crazy. And the city be- gets in a stir and they're like, I want to I see this thing. I want to know that this is true. The people were astonished. They were curious because the message trumped the messengers. They were able to, the people were able to look beyond who the messenger was and see the truth and the power of the message. Christ the Messiah, the one we've been waiting generations for, is here. He has come, God with us. And here's the subplot, verse 19, it says, But Mary kept all these things in her heart, and she thought about them often. So not only were these shepherds telling the people, but they told Mary, like, this is what we saw, this is what they told us, And this is the affirmation of that message. So Mary begins to stitch this story together a little bit. Now she was visited by like a Hebrews 13 angel, like a human. His name was Gabriel. And Gabriel gives her this message. And the only information that she has at this point is the sex of the baby, the name of the baby, that he was going to be very great and son of the Most High, and that he would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's the information she had to go with for about 10 months. Like thinking like, what is happening? And then these complete strangers walk into the delivery room. I mean, this is probably hours later. Things are probably still a bit messy. Like if you've ever been in the delivery room, like things are hectic and chaotic. And apparently, at least our stories say there was like sheeps and donkeys and a bunch of people in the room. I'm not sure how biblically accurate that is, but it's beside the point. These guys show up, these absolute strangers and say, there he is. This is Jesus. This is our Messiah. This is Christ the Lord. And Mary begins to ponder. Oh. That, that's, that's what Gabriel meant. And so it says that she began to keep all these things in her heart because she began to think, what does this mean for my child? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my family? And she says she thought about them often, probably for about 33 years. And so then the story moves back for a moment. And it says, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So they go back to their day job, probably not able to get a whole lot of sleep that night. It says they were glorifying and praising God. In other words, belief 
ignites enthusiasm. Belief ignites worship. These ordinary shepherds, these outcasts, these misfits, had just been a part of the most important delivery story in all of human history. And they understand it because they know what they saw. And so let's turn the story on us for a moment. We are aware of, or at least most of us are aware of, the most important story in history. Something that unfolded, that began to unfold from the very beginning of time, and we are aware of it. The most unreal, unbelievable, most important story to tell. And so if that was the case, if you believe that to be true, do you not think that it's important to tell others about that story like the shepherds did? Because we have no problem doing this on social media, right? You have a new child, day later you're going to post pictures and the weight and all the other little details. You have a new achievement, you're going to post it on social media. Look at this thing I did. Look at my story and how it's unfolding. Some of us have opinions on COVID that we like to put on social media. Or we have opinions on politics or gun reform. And we like to share those opinions. Some of us, uh, we like to share when the sports team that we love did a great thing or the sports team that we hate did a great th- or a really bad thing. We like to share some of those things. And I'm not saying that these things aren't worth sharing. I love to see the Oilers lose. I do. And I'm not saying that these things aren't important. I love to see new babies. I love to see weddings. It's my favorite perk of being a pastor is marrying people. Love it. But when it comes to the soul-saving, world-changing, life-altering, eternity-pondering salvation of Christ our Lord, we don't really share that a whole often. And for the next few minutes, I, I, I don't... I don't want you to feel like I'm giving you a guilt trip, okay? It's not my intention. But especially this time of season, we have the most important story ever. And some of us sit back and hope that the people around us will kind of catch the gist of it through others. And I begin to think to myself, these shepherds, risked their lives to go prove the information that they had. These shepherds knew something that was very important. They knew something was too good to believe. And so they began to not only look for the proof, but to tell others about it once it was found. Church, if we are truly enthusiastic about our belief in Jesus Christ, We need to tell others. And so I want to talk about three things, three barriers that I believe get in the way of us telling our story. And this is not meant to be a guilt trip. This is meant to be the things, even in my own experience, even as I wrestled with this this week, three things that I believe are getting in the way of us truly telling our story and our part in the redemptive, salvation, soul-saving word of God that each of us have written in our stories. 
So here's three barriers, I think, to sharing our story with Christ. The first is this. Some of us think, it's not my responsibility. Talking about Jesus is not my responsibility. Sometimes some of us think, that's the pastor's responsibility. Sure, absolutely it is. Or it's the church's responsibility. Yup, it is. You're absolutely right. Or some of us think, well, it's just not my gifting. Evangelism is not one of my giftings. And for some of you, you're probably right. Some of us think, well, it's not my, I'm not a good storyteller. Um, Some of us sometimes use the excuse of being an introvert as a way to say, I can't share my story. I can't share my faith with others, with my friends or my family. Some of us think, it's not my responsibility. Well, I don't know. Here's what Jesus says about it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teach these new disciples. So It's not just about telling your story once. After you go and make, it says, then you teach these people to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end. So Jesus wasn't just speaking to like his small group of friends here. He's continuing to speak to us through his word in this today. And some of us, I think, sometimes think like these 12 were like the ideal group of guys to send out and go and make disciples. They weren't. They were fishermen. They were doctors and accountants and locksmiths. They were Different characters with different personalities and different vocations and different giftings. And they were not perfect. One of them even gave up Jesus to the authorities. One denied him multiple times. The others questioned his motives. Like these these 12 misfits that he spent the last three years of his life with, they didn't have it all together. Yet their stories were changed by Jesus And he says, go make disciples and keep teaching them to do so. And that's what God tells us to do. So when you say, it's not my responsibility, that's not what Jesus says. And I look, I'm just telling you what he said. I don't take my word for it. Reading rainbow. Let's go. Number two. Second barrier to maybe not sharing your faith is a lack of personal intimacy with Jesus. This one might hurt a few of us. A lack of personal intimacy with Jesus. If you aren't active in your individual personal life with Jesus, if you aren't enthusiastic about wanting to know more about Jesus or, or grow your faith, nobody else will either. If, if you are not trying to grow and develop your own relationship with Jesus and, and try to grow in certain ways and be transformed in certain ways, I don't know how that's going to happen externally in other people's lives. Well, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it can. But this is how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. See the exclamation points, belief ignites enthusiasm. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given who? Us the task 
of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Like if these things, if if what Christ has done for you and in you and through you, if that doesn't excite you, then please stop ambassadating. I don't know if that's a word. Like, this is so key. God, God doesn't count your sins against you anymore. All that crap you did before, all the stuff you're into now, all, all the mistakes you're going to make in the future, God doesn't count any of that against you if you believe in Jesus and you've given your life to him. That's exciting. Thank you, Jesus. If that doesn't get your blood boiling, if your personal intimacy with Jesus and that realization doesn't make you excited for your future and for your eternity, man, I don't know. Lack of personal intimacy with Jesus can be a barrier from sharing our story. The third thing is this. We need to expand our friend groups beyond Christians. This one's hard for me. My, my life, in many ways is consumed by Christians, right? Like it's my job five days a week. I'm typically with other believers trying to figure out other ways to make, to go and make disciples and teach them to obey God's commands. And my friend groups are usually from this room. I can point to a few of them right now. And I begin to think to myself, oh wait, Like, I'm not going to share my story with these guys. They already know it. And so we need to make sure that we expend our friend groups beyond the Christians that surround us. Now, now there's a few caveats here. Yes, have Christian friends. You need Christian friends. And yes, guard yourself, guard your heart with the people that you bring into your circle. This is how Peter puts it in 1 Peter 3. Finally, all of you, Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because of this, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. In other words, you can affect the people around you, whether they have faith or not. He continues in verse 13, who is going to harm you if you do good? And even if you do, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. That's personal intimacy with Jesus. If you have that, then this. Okay, don't miss this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. See, we have lots of people 
Or maybe we have some people in our lives who don't know Jesus. They don't have a faith. They're not sure how to navigate those conversations. But here is, when you revere Christ as Lord in your own life, you will always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. In other words, the people that think you're nuts. You'll be like, this is the hope I have in Christ. Right. And that can come in a different ways. Our Monday night church last week, we talked a little bit about this. Um, one of the easy ways is for you to stop telling people you're going to pray for them. Stop. Instead, say, can I pray for you right now? Oh, I'll pray for you. Send a little message, a little text. I'll be praying for you. Send a voice message and pray for that person. These are simple ways that you can tell your faith story to your non-Christian friends. Sometimes it's easy as saying, you know, you, you just listen to someone, you be quiet for a while and say something like, you know what, in my experience, Jesus has taught me. Or in my experience, my faith has helped me. Because remember, we have to think back to this great commission. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Like the Holy Spirit helps us in those conversations. And are they embarrassing and awkward sometimes? Absolutely. Absolutely they are. Because people think you're crazy. In some ways, you are. We are a peculiar people. But we have the most important story in the world to tell. And sometimes we're just too embarrassed to tell it. We're too scared to tell it. Some of our jobs even tell us that we're not allowed to share it. But... For a city of 22,000 people, and there's probably about 20 who don't know Jesus, we've got some work to do. And it's not the pastor's responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. It is your responsibility as a follower of Jesus to tell your faith story. Because I can't do it for you. I can't share my faith with your family that will be nearly as impactful as yours will. Your circle of friends or the people in the cubicle or the locker next beside you, your story to them is far more valuable than mine. And we can drag people to church all we want, and that will only be a little bit helpful until you begin to tell your story of faith to others. And this isn't meant to be a guilt trip. I know it sounds like that, but hell is real, and I want to see as few people in there as possible. And the moment that we begin to run after hell with a bunch of water guns, we have the story, we have the faith, we have the tools, we have the people, we have the community to surround us. So let's share that story as best as we can. Love is an inconvenient thing. Love is always an inconvenient thing. And there are always ways that we can share the story of God's love in our lives and what Christ has done for us. In a few moments, we're going to close in worship, but not the way you think. We're going to close in worship in an act of love and servitude for our community. And I hope that you all participate because love is often inconvenient and you might have a roast in the oven 
or something, or you got reservations at Swish Life, whatever the case may be, I don't care. This is an easy, quick, inconvenient way for us to show love to others and just be a part, a very small part of that story in our own community because there are 20,000 people in this city who probably don't know Jesus. And God's looking at us as Christ's ambassadors. Before we tell you what we're going to do, I want to pray for us this morning as Pastor Jason comes to lead us in our next act of worship. God, you are always with us until the end of the age. And so may your Holy Spirit fill us, fill our stories with more and more of you. God, give us the courage and the bravery and the words to share the love of Jesus with those around us. To our coworkers, to our classmates, to our families, to our siblings, to our friends who don't know you. Challenge us and change us and transform us by the power of your word and the blood of Jesus and the filling of your Holy Spirit to just do better. Because when we get better, your kingdom gets bigger. I pray all these things in the victorious name of Jesus. We all said, amen.